Professor Alexandra Roberts joins the show to talk about the Satan Shoes trademark complaint. This is the Legal Impact, the weekly podcast presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD, graduate programs, and online professional certificates. Learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or hosts and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. So Alex, I guess 2021 continues to deliver with the weird. Uh, rapper Lil Nas X, whose musical career is basically a meme at this point, uh, worked with the company Mischief, spelled M-S-C-H-F, to release 666 pairs of Satan shoes to go along with the Lil Nas X song Montero, Call Me By Your Name, a song where the music video is has Lil Nas X sliding down a stripper pole to hell to give the devil a lap dance. The video is an experience, but mm-hmm. where does the uh, trademark conflict come into the mix? Sure. So Mischief took um, genuine Nike Air Maxes and um, did a few things to them, did some embellishing. So they um, they embroidered in red thread a reference, a kind of Bible reference. Uh, one pair of the shoes says Lil Nas X on them. There's a pentagram that is attached around where the laces are. There's a, um, I think a sock liner inserted. And then probably most importantly and most controversially, the air bladder that runs along the bottom of the shoe has been injected with red dye and a single drop of blood, human blood. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, the first thing that comes to my mind is Etsy? <laughs> I mean, the, the, this this seems like they the, so they took an existing product and manipulated it and then are reselling it. Right, exactly. So trademark law does have a pretty robust first sale doctrine, which says basically anytime you buy a branded good, you can do whatever you want with it. So I could drive to the coach outlet, buy a bunch of handbags and then sell them in my neighborhood. I could decide that I want to list half of the clothing and shoes in my closet on Poshmark and make some money um, off of my used stuff, even if it's not in great shape, even if it's scuffed, whatever. Or I could resell my new stuff, or I could you know, buy a pack of baseball cards and find the most valuable one and list it on eBay individually. So there's a lot of freedom there to do that. Um, wh- one issue here is the amount of alteration that mischief has done. So there's a line of cases saying essentially a material dif- a materially different product is not a genuine product. So first sale doctrine protects the ability to resell genuine products. And once you make a whole lot of changes to something, um, the kind of changes that will be relevant to consumers' decisions to purchase them, then we're not dealing anymore with genuine products. The other issue is likelihood of confusion, right? So an infringement claim always has at its crux consumer perception. And we ask, are consumers likely to be misled or confused as to whether um, Nike is really the source, as to whether Nike authorized or endorsed this collaboration and this final product? And the answer here seems pretty clear because Nike has found all of these instances of consumers who are confused, of really angry people all over social media saying, Nike, how dare you get in bed with Satan? Um, Never buying Nikes again. I didn't know Nike was the devil's brand, you know, uh, including some pretty high profile people. And so Nike came out with a statement pretty quickly saying these are not endorsed or authorized by us. We had nothing to do with them. But I think you you start to get 
outside of the bounds of what first sale doctrine allows when you have that actual confusion and when you have that level of material alteration. Especially nowadays where it's a very common occurrence where licensing is very commonly used by all major shoe manufacturers. I guarantee Nike probably has deals that are legit like this. And the fact that it's still got the Nike and the swish on the side of it has to really upset them, I'd imagine. Well, that's right. So what they're saying is, look, you're putting these shoes out into the world, 666 pairs of them, and they say Nike and they feature the swoosh, which is um, our, those are our registered trademarks. And in fact, they are famous nationwide. So we get protection not only against infringement, but also against dilution. There are two kinds of dilution. Uh, the first is dilution by blurring, which is just kind of weakening the mark by creating association with more than one source. So if you use Rolex to sell hot dogs, something like that. Um, and the second one is tarnishment. Tarnishment creates harm to the reputation of that famous mark by associating it with something tawdry. So usually tarnishment cases are about sex or pornography or illicit drugs or things like that. Um, and here I think Satan is a pretty good example of the type of use that's likely to tarnish a famous mark. Now, has Mischief come out and said anything at this point? No, I'm not aware of it. It's interesting that Mischief didn't do any kind of disclaimer with the shoes. So a lot of the time when we see these kind of allowable first sale doctrine resale uses, um, we see pretty prominent language saying not an authorized reseller or, you know, this is not a product of whatever. So, for example, Chanel has sued over this button jewelry. There's a business that buys up or finds um, real Chanel genuine buttons and hardware, turns them into necklaces and earrings and, and sells them for a, a pretty substantial markup. But even in that case, that business is pretty clear about saying we are not Chanel. We're not affiliated with Chanel. We're just using these kind of Chanel buttons and hardware, right? Mischief doesn't do that. Lil Nas X doesn't do that. And Mischief, in fact, has a kind of history of this type of um, guerrilla product creation and drops and launches. And they seem really interested in stirring up controversy. They, not too long ago, made Nike Jesus sneakers that also sold really well and were really controversial. And um, I, I believe in that case, in the air bladder, they injected holy water or so they said i mean do you think there's any sort they could in theory make any sort of first amendment case revolving around parody considering how ridiculous the whole thing is yeah absolutely i think they could trademark parody has to be satirizing or sending up the mark that it's using. So it wouldn't be enough to say like we're mocking the Christian right. They would need to make the argument that in fact we are mocking, we are parodying Nike itself or the kinds of consumers who are passionate about Nike and the expensive collaborations that Nike has done with other artists, right? But it's certainly possible to make that case or some other kind of fair use case. Um, and I think we're seeing a trend with courts allowing uh, a really expansive interpretation of the First Amendment. So we're seeing as a pushback against the ways in which trademark law has expanded over the years. We're seeing courts more willing to engage with those First Amendment kind of responses and more willing to say that even a commercial good might also be considered an expressive use, an expressive good, because it contains a message of some kind.
if you were representing mischief outside of just a financial paying off Nike or just removing the shoes from the marketplace in some fashion, what what do you think they should do to to remedy this? I mean, my guess is neither one of these parties wants really expensive litigation that's going to drag on. I mean, this is already calendared, calendared for the end of June for the next step. And the drop, of course, sold out in under 60 seconds. So you've got people out there waiting for their shoes. Somebody's going to have to make a decision either way. Nike asks for a lot of kinds of damages and a large amount of damages, but I think they'd be perfectly happy to just get an injunction or a settlement in which uh, mischief promises not to send out those shoes, right? If you're mischief, um, I think that's the path of least resistance to say, ha ha, Nike can't take a joke. All right, fine, you win. But if they really wanted to see this through and continue to, to garner attention and maybe earn some more fans out of it, then um, then maybe they'd keep it up. Maybe they want to see how those first sale and First Amendment and fair use type arguments would play out. Could it possibly just be a day late and dollar short for mischief concerning they've already sent a, a bunch of these shoes out to influencers to show off the music videos already out. It's probably got millions of views at this point already. I mean, are, are they basically just going to be stuck uh, with with a case at this point? No, I don't think so. I expect I mean, they sold the shoes Monday, today's Tuesday, I expect they could make the decision not to send those out. They could either destroy them or do something else with them. Um, and so the fact that there might be a couple of pairs in circulation isn't going to be super harmful. I also think if Mischief hadn't made 666 pairs, if they had made three pairs, um, you know, for the music video or for a kind of publicity stunt, then Nike likely wouldn't have sued because it looks then more like a a piece of performance art. It looks more like a one-off expressive use or just the kind of customization that isn't going to create consumer confusion because you're not actually marketing something to consumers. There's one more interesting piece here, I think, which is that um, a traditional trademark infringement case cares about confusion at the point of sale. So when a purchaser is actually making that decision, will I buy these? Will I buy something else? Will I buy nothing? Are they confused about source or sponsorship or authorization, things like that? So a lot of people are saying, look, the kinds of really serious sneakerheads who are lining up and eagerly awaiting that drop so that they can make the purchase within seconds, none of those people are confused, right? They know what they're dealing with. They understand this is Lil Nas X and Mischief customized shoes. These are not from Nike. So if the only people who are confused are other people who were never going to purchase the shoes, does that count, right? Is that that kind of confusion away from point of sale? It might be initial interest confusion, post-sale confusion. There are jurisdictions that, that don't really acknowledge those types of confusion as actionable. But I guess the argument there would be, um, these are still future Nike consumers, right? So if there are consumers out there who say, look, I've been buying Nike sneakers my whole life, but now I know that Nike loves Satan, so I'm never gonna buy from them again, then that makes the, the potential harm and injury to Nike pretty clear. It's just less straightforward than than traditional point of sale confusion. And Nike has had a big point with regards to public image and making sure that they have a certain look. I mean, the whole Colin Kaepernick and some of the other branding deals they had with various athletes were very centered around image. 
That's right. Nike puts a lot of work into um, curating and maintaining its image and making decisions about who it does and doesn't collaborate with. So I think all of that kind of contributes to the tarnishment argument. And, And Nike essentially says in the complaint, you know, love us or hate us, we decide where we put our swoosh. We are the only entity that can make that decision to sell something with the Nike label and with the swoosh on it. That's what our trademark rights protect. Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. Tell us Fred Ward about the show. Please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify.